And welcome back to Fully Equipped. Jonathan Wall joined as always by my guys, Ryan Barath and Mr. World Traveler, Gene Prenti. Boys, how we doing? Good to go. Excited for major week. Last last men's major of the year. Last men's major. For a while. I'm good. From, I'm good. I'm good from the waist up. From the waist down, I'm a complete train wreck. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> I don't even want to know what that means. <laughs> well, let me give you just a little recap because, you know, I got it. I was going to say uh, we need we need a proper recap from your from your world travels. So I took two weeks off. Uh, the first week, I took my kids. And I might win Father of the Year for this award for this trip, or I might be reported to CPS. I'm not quite sure exactly how it's going to like play out in the in the grand scheme of things. But uh, you took your kid we, to Coachella, Gene. You already won the Father <laughs> of the Year award. <laughs> so we hiked uh, this trail. It's uh, 56 miles in Corsica, and you basically go up summit peaks and go down of the highest mountains in Corsica. It's called the GR 20. It is considered the hardest hike slash climb in Corsica. And I took my three kids. They're all teenagers. So they're all pretty hardy, but none of them had, we hiked a lot, but we've never even backpacked. And we did 10 to 12 miles a day and we're out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it, this was like, if you got injured, you would hope that someone would come by in an hour or two that you could tell. And then they were going to have to hike somewhere for two to three hours and then phone someone and maybe a helicopter would come, you know, the next day type thing. And you were, we were on these crazy precipices and valleys. And anyways, we all survived. But my knees, you've heard the term cankles. Those are my knees right now. One day it was seven hours straight down, and oh, I'm just man. shot. I'm I'm just shot, completely shot. But uh, other than that, then then I lost a lot of weight, got really fit. Then we went to Paris for a week, and I got really fat and drank a lot of wine, ate a lot of cheese, and a lot of salami. So I'm ready to roll. So I gotta say. We were supposed to do a podcast last week, and I heard from some disgruntled listeners, so I guess I owe them all an apology that we didn't let you all know in advance that we were not going to be running a podcast last week. That was not planned, I must admit. We just were all over the place. As Gene mentioned, he was in Corsica and Paris, and Chris was getting ready. As you can probably tell, there are three, not four of us here this week. Chris is on vacay in Hawaii slash also work. I know true specs opening up a new facility in Hawaii rough life for Chris. So hope he's enjoying or enjoying some much deserved downtime, but Gene was ready to do the pod last week. He was all set. And then we told him last minute, sorry, buddy, you're not doing the podcast from Paris. No, it was a major disappointment, I, Gene. I was so pissed. So pissed. So I had my beret, I had my baguette, I had my glass of wine, cleared the kids out of the living room, and I sat there like the girls stood up at the dance. All of a sudden, it was like 
uh, maybe we're going to do it. Maybe we're going to do it. It's going to happen anytime. And 10 o'clock turned to 11 o'clock. And there's nothing sadder than a middle-aged man in a beret with a glass of wine in Paris waiting for a equipment podcast to come on that never happens. That's like the depths. I was like, hmm, I got to check myself. Yeah, this is, this is a new low. So anyways, I went to bed that night very soon. But I'm good. I'm refreshed. I'm ready to go again. I mean, you're used to waiting on things like wireless speakers. <laughs> so just add it to the list. Just another of life's disappointments. That's uh-huh. all. Yeah. yeah. So in addition to all the travel last week, I was in Tahoe, which was about 35 degrees cooler than Texas, covering the American century. You know, I've been covering gear on the the PGA Tour for over a decade now, which is pretty crazy to say it out loud. But that was the first time I've ever covered a celebrity event. I've never, I mean, I guess if you if you count the Pebble Beach Pro-Am, but, you know, there are actual PGA Tour golfers in the field. That's the first time I've ever covered a full-on Pro-Am with celebrities, current and former athletes, and I got to say, it was kind of fun. It was neat to start digging through the bags of, of some of these guys. They had a very eclectic mix of gear. I saw everything from, uh, man, I guess, so the one club that really stood out to me was um, Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. His dad was... Uh, there, Pat Mahomes, who is a former Major League Baseball player. And he had everything from new wedges down to a ping I-2 one-iron. Wow. I can't remember the last time I saw a ping I-2 one-iron. It was it was a sight. And so it was it was good. It, it chance to, like I said, chance to look through bags and, and see what's out there. <laughs> I mean, everybody wants to know what the guys like Steph Curry and Josh Allen, quarterback for the Buffalo Bills, they had some some fun stuff. Josh Allen, I had a chance to talk to him. He was going through the long drive they had on the 16th hole, which is just, I got to admit, the 16th hole at Edgewood, it's beautiful. goes right down to the water, par five. But it's just a wonky hole. It has a giant pine about 220 yards out in the middle of the fairway. So if you pipe a drive right down the middle, there's a pretty good chance, unless you're shaping it around that tree, that you're going right into the middle of that pine and it's dropping. I don't, I don't find that very fair. It kind of feels a little gimmicky. What do you think? Did you like uh, what's the what's the height of it? Maybe you just need to raise the apex of your driver. <laughs> I mean, you're going to have to hit like a lob wedge driver. I mean, that tree is tall. I think I maybe saw one guy clear it with like a 15 or 16 degree launch. I have to look this tree up now. I should have yeah. I should have looked this up before, but yeah, I didn't. Uh, it's kind of an odd one to have like a long drive hole on, but uh, yeah, yeah. I guess my from the celebrity event, like everyone asks, everyone knows, like you know, Curry's a good good player and some good players there, but like, who is the worst player, <laughs> or who who would you say would have the the most consistently bad days on the golf course? Whew. That's a good question. Huh. I'm not asking you to bury anybody here, but maybe I am. Yeah, there, there were so the there was a, a definite 
line in the sand between the athletes and the celebrities in terms of quality. The athletes, for the most part, even the guys that hadn't been playing golf for that long, they were still able to to hit some decent drives on the long drive hole. Some of the celebrities were just bad. I watched one guy. I watched one guy just shank a drive into the trees. I mean, maybe maybe fifty yards down the off the tee box. I won't. I won't name any. I won't name any names. Let's just say that. All but right. I will tell you. I will tell you. He was in Top Gun too. Oh, there you go. All right. How was uh, that. how was how was Barkley? So Chuck, I I hung out with him a little bit on the range. And then I was there when he did the long drive. And I will say this, they're playing in Tahoe. So the numbers are a little bit off because you're, you know, the thin air is, is making some of these drives go a little bit longer than they normally would. Kind of similar to if you were playing in, in like the Denver area or, or, you know, anything, anything above L, you know, above sea level where you're getting a little bit more thin air is going to keep the ball and just make it go. But Chuck swing I know that we've seen it now for, for a couple of years. He worked with Stan, Stan Utley and Stan Utley is a magician because he got Charles Barkley out of that just real hitchy. I mean, right before impact, he was, it looked like he was having a seizure and he could never quite hit the golf ball. And now it's gone. He gets the ball. He gets the club back. He fires it through. He had a full set of pin clubs and it was, you know, setup that I would expect from a guy who's, I mean, Chuck's probably about a, like a 10 to 15, I would say, but he piped his drive one, each one of the players had an opportunity to hit two drives on long drive hole. Chuck piped one 284 carry right down the middle and was off. And I think he just did it as a statement. Like he just hit the drive and just walked down the fairway because a lot of people were ribbing him. Because again, I think they remember the old swing and not Chuck 2.0. But yeah, his swing looks good. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to play him for money right now. He'd probably hustle you. Well, you know, the, the interesting thing about him, and it shocked me, was Mickelson came out with a statement, I don't know, a few years back and said when uh, he was at ASU and he used to play Barkley, he was like a single digit player and a really, really had a great swing. So He's kind of this fascinating arc to be of how, I mean, he's an elite athlete. I mean, you know, he was an NBA all-star and he developed this like mental twitch in his golf swing that, I mean, just got worse and worse and worse. And to see him get out of that, I think is, is pretty impressive. I mean, there's definitely old video of him, like hitting balls. Um, I would say he's probably a little lighter and his probably his knees were probably weren't as, weren't as bad either. So he had a lot of, a lot more flexibility but uh, he had a, he had good action. Like uh, I'm, I can I can think of like Skinny Barkley videos. Him like hitting drives and irons. Uh, I can't remember. I don't know if it was like back from the golf channel or it was like old highlights or something of him just talking about his game in the past. Like you know during the hitch period, I guess. But uh, yeah, it was. I mean, it's good to see him. Like I think you know what it's like the chipper thing. Right? I know we're going to touch on the chipper uh, later on in the show, like the new ping club. But I think for golf, it's like. Um, to me, golf is a like judgment-free zone, right? Like the goal is to be out there and have fun. I don't care if like I play with people all like of different skill levels and funky swings and all kinds of stuff. And 
to be able to just go out and have fun again. Like, I think to me, that's probably the biggest thing for him, right? Is like being able to go out and, you know, not feel like people are going to, I know he kind of embraced it and he's obviously used to being in front of people, but to like be able to get to a point where he can enjoy the game and he can kind of like be out with his buddies and not feel like he's, he's hitching or he's, he's really struggling or he's, he's waiting for someone to kind of make fun. Again, I know he's like someone who's probably used to that kind of stuff. And I know he takes a lot from, uh, was it Shaq on TNT, <laughs> but yep. to, to, to see that is really cool. And I, I think again, to, to the point of the chipper, and I, I posted a quick pic of it uh, on social media and to like, really, like you think this is cool. I'm like, I think it's absolutely awesome. Cause if it makes one more person enjoy the game and have fun, like what's wrong with that? I, I 100% agree. I will say of the, of the athletes that I kind of kept an eye on while I was there, Charles Barkley had to have been the most gracious athlete. You know, some of the guys after a while, um, actually I flew home with, with a couple and the husband had played in the pro-am with Tony Romo who ended up winning the American century. And the wife said that Romo was basically just calling kids underneath the ropes and letting them walk with him down the fairway. And I had heard that Charles Barkley was doing something similar, but he stopped for everybody, anybody who wanted a picture, kids who wanted an autograph. He, and he, and it wasn't like he was stopping in, in feeling like, Oh, this kid's just kind of killing the vibe. I mean, he stopped, he talked to him, made him feel like that it was a moment that they'd remember. It was cool to see, you know, Charles Barkley seems like a good guy, but it was, it was great to see him interacting and it kind of matches up with what you'd expect from a guy that's seems like he's fun loving. He enjoys life. And he certainly was in Tahoe as far as the, so, okay. So while I was on the T on 16, I was casually asking guys some gear questions. Did they know what swing weight was shaft tipping? Some of them gave me these, these weird looks. And I, I got to tell you only a handful of guys could actually answer the questions you know, celebrities and athletes are not gearheads. The only one that I think was the closest thing to a gearhead was Josh Allen, quarterback, as I mentioned, for the Buffalo Bills. He told me he's got, you know, three sets of irons at home, and he plays golf pretty regularly, six putters. One of the putters he actually was using it last week was a Scotty Cameron tour type, and it's the SSS version, the surgical stainless steel. And he told me that he got the putter with an assist from – PJ Tour winner Kevin Streelman. So he played with Streels at the Pebble Beach Pro Am, and then Streelman hooked him up with the guys over at the Scotty Cameron Studio, and they created a putter. It looks really cool. It's got Allen's number seventeen on the on the toe of the face, and it's blue and red paint fill for the Bills, and it's got his name Josh Allen stamped on the on the back bumpers. It it looks like a proper tour putter. So I would have said that that putter. And Patrick Peterson. So Pat Peterson shut down corner, played. I think a lot of people remember him when he played with the Arizona Cardinals. Now he's with the Minnesota Vikings. That guy has, he told me, he's got one of the nicest Scotty Cameron putter collections around. He was putting with, I don't think, the, I think the last time I saw a chromatic bronze was probably when Rory was using one back in the day. And Pat Peterson had a chromatic bronze Scotty Cameron. And I mean, that's like a, like about a 10 K putter. And Pat said that he has, he has a couple of them. 
Wow. <laughs> Must be nice. But yeah, he did tell me he was a huge Scotty Carey fan. So it was, it was a fun week. I, I'm looking forward to going back next year and getting a chance to to check out some of the gear. You know, the, we had covered it the previous year, and the big stories were Jerry Rice with the, the Nike VR blades. And Vince Carter had a Bettinardi putter with his um, – all of his famous dunks, like they had, they had found a way to add this, his famous dunks, like milled them onto the putter. It was the coolest putter I've ever seen. And Vince did not have the putter in the bag and Jerry Rice did not have the Nike irons in the bag. So it was a, it was a up and down week for your boy. I was really looking forward to seeing that gear in person and wasn't there. So, but like I said, I'll be back next week or next year. And, and look forward to kind of seeing what the pros or the uh, celebrities and the athletes have in the bag. All right. Let's transition to the Open Championship. Always something going on with the Open. And we got to start with what's now the biggest story from the week. Bryson and Bridgestone. Yeah. Did anybody see this coming? I certainly didn't expect it. <laughs> Gene's <laughs> over here with a with a smile on his face. I think he might know something. Or he may, gonna, he may I, have I, known I, something before. <laughs> I'm going to keep my mouth shut on that one. But um, I, I, I will say this. Uh, you know, I, I and I think this applies to all OEMs. It, you know, and you can make the same kind of argument about Patrick Reed and PXG in that I think that the OEMs are hedging their bets right now. They just don't know how this is going to play out. And I think that they are probably, you know, deciding that the risk is much greater than the reward. So therefore, you know, it's better to, to separate. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised on both cases if it wasn't a mutual, you know, situation. Um, but, uh, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see this more because, uh, now fast forward two years, if Liv is entrenched and, you know, and it's part of the PGA or equal to the PGA or something like that. I could easily see everybody going right back to business as usual. But right now, I think I think that uh, OEMs are spooked a little bit. I think the interesting thing that goes along with it is the fact that you have players like Tiger and Fred Couples on the Bridgestone brand who have been there, I wouldn't say longer than Bryson, because I think Bryson was there when he signed. And then I know Tiger is probably four or five years ago. So, I mean, probably close to the same timeline. But that, along with the association with the PGA tour, I think is the official tire of the PGA tour. I think there is an official everything for the PGA tour at this point, but there's, there's probably some connection with all of these things where, um, you know, they just, they, they thought, you know, at this point, you know, if he wants to do this and that's fine, then, and kind of let him go his way. There's probably something in his contract at some point, if he, if he's not playing on the PGA tour, as far as TV is concerned. And like, last but not least, we have to remember, and like I again, I have no ill will towards Bryce at all, but like he's come out many times in the past and like talked not great about equipment that he's had. And I know he's kind of brushed things over as far as the uh, the driver and every, like last year at the Open Championship at this time, right? So all of those things coming together, 
is is there's probably a lot of little things that may have added up to this over over a period of time you know if it came to like a product thing if there was i don't i can't imagine he wasn't happy with the product i mean he's won majors with it he's 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 been involved with the development of certain products so like to say that that's probably the factor is, is maybe a bit of a stretch but as far as the the relationship is concerned when you think of like the the overall uh, profile of bridgestone as like a as a company right like bridgestone i would say is as a as a whole list like a whole company like is probably bigger than any other golf company that exists on the planet right like you've got tires for all kinds of manufacturers and cars and like all kinds of r- different rubber products so uh as like a whole subsidiary Bridgestone golf is like this tiny little thing as as far as their whole like science and research and development for rubber is concerned and, and different materials so you know bryson just happens to be someone who you know, they decided that was it and now they're going to go in a different direction. But I think when we look at it from like the whole point of thing, it's probably something that's maybe a little bit minor, but it seems really big, obviously, in the golf space. And it is big news because, you know, the next question is, what's he going to use? Yeah, that's the big question. So for everyone out there who doesn't have a good handle on Bryson's gear, he plays, he's under contract with Cobra for his clubs. He uses a sick putter, but I know sick and Cobra now have, have a partnership and, you know, he uses Bridgestone for the golf ball. So the statement that Bridgestone gave was the PGA tour is an extremely important part of professional golf and Bridgestone has a sports marketing relationship with this highly visible series of tournaments. And considering that Bryson DeChambeau will no longer be participating in these events, Bridgestone and Bryson have agreed to end their brand ambassador partnership. And, you know, I think, and I, I posed this question on social media yesterday, is, is Bryson an anomaly or is this a sign of things to come? And you guys have mentioned it. I think it's a sign of things to come. I, I don't think unless Liv can come up with some sort of a, a TV deal. I've heard rumblings that, that maybe some international uh, TV groups are considering broadcasting live events unless they get some legitimacy and, and get OWGR, the world golf rankings, unless they get that status. I think you'll see other manufacturers bail. They may not do it like they did, so publicly like Bridgestone did, but I could see them as these deals start to to come to the last month or so just saying, Hey, look, we're not going to be re-upping. And for some guys, I don't think it will be such a big deal, but Bryson is one of those guys when he signed his contract extension with Bridgestone in 2020, one of the things that they highlighted and Bryson highlighted was his larger role in the development of future products Bridgestone had been talking about how Bryson had come to them with materials that were outside of the golf industry that he thought might be worth testing on future golf ball products. And, you know, we've told the story before plenty of times how Bryson has a badge to get into to Cobra R&D when he's in town. And he'll spend a week at Cobra and just spend time with the R&D guys, learn more ask questions, try and see if they can come up with something new. I, I think if you're looking at a guy who some like losing a deal that could hurt them in the future, I think it could be Bryson because he relies so heavily on, on trying to create an edge when it comes to his gear. And that includes the golf ball. 
And if he's not able to help in the development of these products, you know, that I think that probably hamstrings him a little bit. Well, here's, here's what I will say to that. Um, He's got somewhere between 115 and 140 million reasons why he can kind of do whatever he wants. So (laughs) maybe he'll just buy his own R and D staff. Well, trust me, he's, I mean, having worked with him, he's, you know, he, he definitely thinks outside the box and, and nothing would surprise me in regard to him. I, I, uh, you know, I, I echo both of your points first, you know, Ryan's point, um, uh, you know, having worked with the Japanese for 32 years, the one thing I can say about them is especially in relation to the U S market, they're very risk averse. The Japanese don't do anything controversial. They, they, you know, they kind of stay in their lane. They, um, they block and tackle really well, but you, you, you very rarely see a Japanese company, and this extends outside of golf as well, especially in the U.S. market, uh, doing anything controversial. So I, I 100% agree that this decision was probably made on a Bridgestone overall corporate level, not necessarily a golf level, that, hey, these relationships are too big and we don't want to create controversy. Uh to your point, Jay Wall, as far as Bryson, yes, absolutely. But the challenge with Bryson right now, especially in relation to something like the golf ball, is, and I can speak to this personally because I'm actually exploring developing a new robot that can be able to swing at the velocities that he's at and that a lot of these kind of up-and-coming players are at my machine, which is the standard in the industry, simply does not have the capabilities right now to swing at 140 miles an hour. Now it can, but it's going to require a complete redesign, et cetera. And up until the, we'll call it the Bryson era, it wasn't required. I mean, 125 was fine. Now 140 is kind of the new, uh, you know, peak or ceiling. But what we're finding is that some of the concepts, uh, theories, and beliefs as far as uh, collision dynamics and flight aren't necessarily applying at these higher speeds. Now, it's anecdotal at this point. We don't have a big body of evidence, but golf balls are doing weird things at 130, 135, 140. And I've seen it in, in experiments that I've run. I've seen it in person with Bryson. I mean, I've, I've seen it where you look at launch monitor numbers and you go, yeah, that ball should have gone here. And instead the ball goes here and it, you know, from the data that you're looking at and it's not weather related, things aren't making sense. And I, I I believe that he may have just kind of broken through a lot of the kind of knowledge barriers of what equipment does club heads and balls and flight. So we're in kind of a brave new world um, in regard to that. And I think everybody from the governing bodies to the equipment manufacturers, to the players are all in this kind of, uh, you know, area of unknowns as far as what, you know, what do golfers want? 
all golfers, but especially elite PGA live players, et cetera, they want to know what their miss is. They want to know when, when the miss happens, was it because of their swing or was it because of the equipment or was it a combination right now at these speeds? It's really tough to tell and it's tough to, you know, make sense of what's going on. And we simply don't have the ability to analyze it at this point. So, um, regardless of whether or not live exists or not coexists with the PGA dominates, et cetera. Uh, these are going to have to be addressed because we've got this whole generation of youngsters that are swinging over 125 miles an hour and they're going to start competing. And as they do, equipment manufacturers are going to have to start looking at that to determine, you know, what the, what's going on with, with, collision dynamics and flight characteristics uh, of the golf ball. Yeah. To, like, the, the point of development is always very interesting because I know like speaking to uh, somebody who works with uh, a shaft manufacturer and they're like college development. So they're at, at AJGA events and they're with college players. It's, it's amazing that a lot of the product development isn't coming from the tour, but it's coming from those younger players who are acquiring just basically stiffer profiles and we're kind of talking shaft versus club heads, but what that actually means to the the end user, because these players are coming out and it's like, well, I like this because it, it does this to ball fight. And they're maybe like talking about uh, a, a competitive product or something like that. And they were able to come back and say, well, you know, we're going to do this instead. And we're going to try this out. We're going to experiment with it because, you know, you're swinging your driver at 130 miles an hour. Your ball speed is at 200 miles an hour and you're not at your full strength. You're not at your full potential yet. And that to me is where, like, again, so a lot of this, a lot of the product at the high speeds is, is being developed by these younger players because it is continuing to come up. And, you know, that's, I know that we, I know we're going to touch on just a second, but like, we, I think we were listening, I was listening to the, the subpar guys, uh, shout out to those guys. Uh, they had someone on and they were talking about cracked a two iron face of one of his driving irons. Like, that doesn't happen very often. Those things are thick. And like, to be able to actually, create that much speed to to cause damage to a golf club is pretty insane under normal circumstances this isn't like someone like i can remember when i was a kid and a driver broke and like taking it back behind the golf store and basically slamming it against the wall so i could actually open the thing up now that i encourage anyone to do that without safety glasses on um but that was because of curiosity when i was a teenager so a long time ago whereas now that's just happening at impact that's happening because of collisions uh, at impact or sorry, impact dynamics is usually gene. So like all of those things factor in to the product development and that does factor in as well to golf balls. So it, it is curious because the, you know, you've seen titleists talk about compression of golf balls. Like they all compress depending on speed. You're obviously going to get a little bit more at higher speed. Um, but you know, for Bry again, in the case of Bryson, he's just, you know, uh, I think it was Mike Clayton that said it at a, a, a podcast at one point, he's like, you know, this generation's freak is next next generation's normal, and we see we saw that with Tiger. We saw that with we see it with sprinters now. I just read an article on you know people who's breaking Usain Bolt's records at like different track. We and they talking about a teenager, like this kind of stuff is just the evolution of sport in general. So uh, from an equipment perspective, it's uh, you know watch this space. But uh, yeah, it's always really interesting. Now I'd say speaking of two irons, we got some new stuff that just came out. AJ Wall. Yeah. A lot of new stuff, stuff that, um, <laughs> I don't know anybody else who's, who's got 200 mile an hour ball speed using this, but 
yeah, this this is a week where you're going to see a lot of players adding utility irons to the bag. Uh, RB, you mentioned on social media that Rory McIlroy is testing TaylorMade's new Stealth UDI, and the UDI stands for Ultimate Driving Iron. And this is a club that we've we've seen them release in the past, and this is just an updated version underneath the Stealth name. Um, I heard a couple people say, well, it looks exactly like the previous sim version. And I mean, yeah, it, I don't think that they're going to change the profile a whole lot with a club like this. It's it's more to do with what's inside of this golf club. And it um, with just with the UDI, which is the one that you're going to see out on tour, that looks more like a traditional long iron. Um, this one has a, a thin cast 450 stainless steel body. It has a forged 4140 face, so it, it's a it's a pretty you know durable but also springy face. And inside the cavity of this UDI, they're using that speed foam air that they released with the Stealth irons. And the speed foam air is, I, uh, I think it's about 70% lighter in weight than the previous version. Which, when you're talking about irons. That's pretty significant. I, I, it comes out to about four grams of weight savings. They're able to redistribute. So the the DHY, which is the one that from talking to Matt Bovey from TaylorMade, um, this one is probably going to be more for, for a, a larger handicap range. It has sort of a, if, if a, you know, if a long iron in a hybrid had a baby, probably look like the, the DHY and it's it's got a more forgiving profile it's gonna you know it, it's gonna allow this club because it has a lower center of gravity it's gonna increase the launch but it's also gonna keep spin low so if you're somebody that maybe struggles with traditional hybrids and you don't like using traditional long irons it's a pretty good one to try out and we're gonna see a lot of in the bag uh, Kurt Kitayama had a three iron UDI last week at the Scottish Open and he finished runner up and a couple other guys are using it as well. And as I mentioned, Rory is going to have it in the bag. I don't think we're going to see, have you, have you noticed? I don't think Tiger's going to be putting one of these in play. No, I think he had, uh, he had 770 long irons, uh, but he has switched Still from the, the, the true temper mids, which I, I was talked about at either the wasn't the JP, but it was the event. Before, uh, when did he play? So, so Southern Hills when he had this, uh, the uh, the seven yeah, seventies with two seven seventies. Yep. Yeah. So he had those with the mid uh, true tempers, the new um, tour shoe shaft, and then he's back to the X one hundred, like the standard X one hundred tour shoe, um, just to help flight it a little bit lower. Obviously, you don't want to launch it higher when you're at the at the Open Championship. And we've seen pictures so far of how fast and firm it is. We've, we've seen video clips of. I know I posted one on uh, on Twitter that was like him hitting a chip shot, which was just like technique central there. But then he hit, the, you know, you hit the shot and then you kind of hit the club on the ground just because that's what you do when you're a golfer. It's one of those, call it a tour sauce thing. So he hits the ground and you just hear this, dude. I'm like, that is awesome because it's just rock hard. And that's all I want to see when, it, when I'm watching Lynx golf. And we've seen him hit putts from 100 yards out on the 18th hole. We've seen Rory mess around with hitting different shots. So He's probably not going to have one of those in the bag. He's going to stick with one of the smaller profile 770s. But the I know, again, Roy's got the, the new one in the bag. The only thing I couldn't figure out was I was watching the uh, 
shout out to the open championship and having a live from the range that just that like five hour just loop video where they're talking to different people they're talking to players they're walk they're walking on the golf course during practice rounds like, i think that's such a fascinating element that we don't get from other majors just that was really cool um i saw rory hit a they asked him about a putt from the the behind off the road on the road hole and he walked over and hit it and then hold the putt and they kind of joked around a little bit like something you don't see like it, it is access central when it comes to information but i couldn't find out what shaft was in that darn udi of his i was i was like pausing the youtube video and i was zooming in just couldn't uh it's unfortunately not in 4k but uh it was something that i thought was really cool to, to try and figure out but uh it, it's obviously it looks like um i thought it was maybe aventus or hazardous or a tent it's something tensei it's something black <laughs> whatever it is it's a black one um, but it's going to be interesting to see kind of how that, how, how that works out. Cause I think we're going to see a lot of these players trying to hit those shots off the, uh, off the deck or sorry, off the tee to kind of lay back from muckers just cause everything's going to go so far when it's, when it's this fast and, and firm. Um, and I know I, myself, Jonathan, I think you've got some right-handed clubs. You happen to be a lefty. So maybe, <laughs> maybe we can see about, uh, uh, trying one of those out. I know. Cause, uh, when I, when I saw the pictures of them, I was like, man, I, I do really like the look of this thing because, um, and Gene, you, like, I'd like to get your like take on this because I know we kind of joked like talking about robots and stuff like that, but like the hosel orientation in the like a, in the UDI is like an iron. There's really low offset. You get a little bit more in the DHY, and then for hybrids, you see either the shaft go forward in the head or back in the head, and that's where you get this this change in launch from like a club design perspective. But I also think from a, a player's looks as well. Like some people like it because you'll you'll see more you could use offset or face progression. So like it sits a little bit more forward or a little bit back. Does that affect ball flight much? Cause obviously like the more offset in theory, the more dynamic loft you're going to get because the center of gravity is further back from like where the shaft axis is. So you get a lot of control with the stealth UDI, but as the, as it moves forward with offset, is that something where you're going to see a little bit more kick up in it? Absolutely. I mean, the interesting thing about it is we can kind of approach it from a testing standpoint, one of two ways. And one way is we set the robot up for one swing and then we put these clubs in and we just get it so it's face square and then we measure the differences. And in regard to that, offset will definitely um, have an effect because you're delivering the pace uh, or, or uh, let me just step back shaft orientation because you're either delivering the pace earlier or later and therefore to square it you either have to close or open it what's interesting though is and this is always fascinating with anything in related relation to offset and it's kind of player specific is as a player you know some players like the face open when they address some some players like the face closed but in doing so in rotating kind of the handle you can negate or exaggerate any of those effects. So if you, so my greater point is we can adjust the robot accordingly so that they all end up coming out very similar. Now spin might be a little different in relation to CG, but the, the, the point being you can either have one swing in which everything changes, or as we know with players, they like the look of something and they might adjust their swing accordingly to, to flight the ball. So uh, from in a vacuum, absolutely a hundred percent. You see differences as far as players are concerned, they can end up flighting the ball very similarly, but they like the look at address. And, you know, I I've always been fascinated by that because that is a, 
psychological aspect of the game, not necessarily an analytical aspect of the or a quantifiable aspect of the game, meaning that, uh, you know, a player A wants this look, player B wants this look, but they both end up with the same kind of ball flight based on how they adjust their swing, you know, to achieve it. Yeah, I, I again, it is, I think it's a fitting story there. I always find that very interesting because you do see such a, a drastic shift because I know I get there's some times where like either clubs that have a little bit more offset, I really like them that may be older, like maybe like a blade style club. And then there'll be other clubs where I like, I don't want that. And I want to make it look like the club is, is a little bit further forward or, or whatever. I was, I was just looking at a set of blades that I had that has basically no offset. And, you know, it really comes down to, to player preference, which I think is, is one of the most fascinating elements of like what people see from a dress when it comes to looking at a golf club and, you know, talking about player preference. Another thing that's really important is grip preference. And speaking of grips, we are talking about God fully equipped is brought to you by golf pride and the all new golf pride CPX. Now, if you're not aware of what the CPX is, it is the softest performance grip that golf pride has ever created. It is out of one material. So unlike a, a grip that might be made out of two pieces that might be a little bit less durable, you're going to get the durability out of this grip as well. And you're going to get comfort thanks to an exo diamond quilted pattern, which if you've ever ridden a BMX bike, is very similar to that. So it has these peaks and valleys, which helps reduce the amount of surface area that the grip actually touches your hand. So it makes it feel softer, which means you can play longer, you can practice longer, and you're not going to feel as tired as you were with, uh, say, a standard grip, or like a lot of people are worried about worn grips, because I know we talked about that last week, and making sure they're nice and clean with some Windex or, or any other technique. But, uh, you know, again, this is one of those things where when it comes to a grip and it comes to being able to have something that's comfortable, it comes down to preference. And if you're looking for something that is nice and soft, it's going to allow you to practice more, give you something that is going to reduce vibration as well. So that helps reduce injury. The CPX is a great option from Golf Pride. So if you're looking for more information on the CPX grip, you can go to golfpride.com or check out your local retailer to give them a go. And uh, hopefully you put them on your golf clubs and you can uh, play and practice just a little bit longer. What a, what a lovely transition. That um, was that was smooth, man. I was impressed. Done that before. was well played. I didn't I, I didn't mean to lead into the ad read like that. I was talking about player because I literally I was just I was holding up some crypts the other day and, and some clubs this morning. I was looking at them and checking out offset. And I was like, hi, you know, this this kind of thing. Oh, I was like, wait, grips. We got we gotta talk about the golf pride. <laughs> well, speaking of profile preference. What do you think about the profile on Ping's new chipper? It's, it's the uh, it's the chippo is back, but with an R. Honestly, I want one. <laughs> I, I, oh, I know you I, do. You've been hitting me up. I, I asking if I, I, I message you get one. I've uh, I've I've sent you. I, I I really do think, and I t- again I talked about this with the Barkley thing. Like golf and golf equipment to me is like a judgment free zone. I used to say. You know, you'd see things and be like, oh, like if someone walks into the club, like, or I, the only thing I'm going to say is please don't use iron covers. Um, that's the only time I might be like slightly judgy, uh, especially if you've got them on an old set of cast golf clubs that it's not going to matter anyways. Um, but when it comes to offering a product that like looks good and, and not only that, but they're, they're, the whole point is the fact you can get a custom fit. So you can get it a little bit flatter. You can get a little bit more upright. It has built into it a slightly more upright line angle, similar to that of a putter. 
And from the look at a dress, I think it looks fantastic. It's low profile. It feels like it's going to be able to get under the ball really easily. From my time in golf retail, I can think of the, the Cleveland Niblick, which was kind of cool. I had some awesome. I had one of those. I actually got one through like a, a buy and sell board, like a, you know, Craigslist or Kijiji kind of thing. Someone had one of these things for like $10. And I was like, okay, well, this is going to be the, either the funniest $10 or the worst $10 I've ever spent. It ended up being the funniest and most fun <laughs> probably when it came to golf equipment. The, there was the old marksman from Callaway, which had this big, it had a soft insert. It was kind of funky, but like had this big wide sole plate sold it uh, like, not to you know put them directly into a demographic, but I sold a ton of those to old ladies who walked into golf stores and like, I really struggle. I just want to be around the greens and be able to have fun with my friends. And I'm tired of chunking it. Walk in, here you go. It had a nice soft wind grip on it and boom, they're out the door. And you know, if, if, although this is illegal, that's fine. Um, but you know, cut, cut a couple of them down and put putter grips on them you know, just make the game easier, right? Like they're not playing for money. They're not playing for anything. They're just playing to have fun with their friends. Um, but in this case, you know, there's a lot of technology packed into this golf club. It's got the hydrophobic uh, chrome coating on it. So it's going to repel and create and help with spin retention. So overall, I think this is an awesome golf club. And I think a lot of golfers who are maybe struggling with the short game are going to love it as well. Yeah. Ping did some research and found that uh, one third of golfers could benefit from a club like this. Now, it's only something that you're going to use from 40 yards and in. It's not. It's not your your standard full swing golf club. It's just meant to be used around in the rough and you know in the fringe around the green. But I I can think of I can think of so many golfers I played with recently that really struggled with their chipping. That's like one of those areas where if you've got a, if you've got a club that you can just make solid contact and get the ball rolling towards the hole, even if it ends up eight to 10 feet by, it's better than, than chunking or sculling one. I mean, at least you're giving yourself a chance to make the putt. And that's where I could see this club being a benefit. Some golfers asked me on social because they were like, Oh, this seems like a cool concept but I'm concerned about it taking up a spot in my bag. I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody's got a spot in the bag where they could and you know benefit from having a club like this. I don't think you're going to be wishing that you had another wedge in the bag. I think this could be a good one to to fill out. Maybe you use it, maybe you use it where you would have had a 58 or a 60 degree. Maybe you add in in this chipper. Yeah, I think, well, that's I think that's, most, that's what sorry, like, Oh, no, I was just going to say that's that's what I was going to reiterate uh, to both your points is the 60 degree is either magic or the death club. And it's, you know, or sometimes both. But um, a good wedge game requires a lot of practice and it requires really, really kind of uh, being in tune, not only with your swing, but also with the conditions, i.e. what kind of grass you're playing in, the rough tight lies, et cetera. And all of us have had horrible things happen with a 60 degree wedge. And it is one of the most demoralizing, you know, you're, you're 50 feet away from the hole and you get it six feet and you're still away. And if you can minimize that to Ryan's point, um, you know, and bring more enjoyment to the game, I am a hundred percent for that. And, you know, to tie that into the open championship. So pre COVID I'd been going over St. Anne, uh, the RNA is a client of mine. They've got two robots, 
So I've been going over for 15 years and become pretty familiar with link style golf. And I love putting from 60 yards. You know, it's just this awesome experience. And, uh, you know, it's not really afforded in U.S. golf because, you know, we have a tendency of surrounding greens with rough, et cetera, to, you know, kind of not allow that transition uh, from the fairway to the green, which is more seamless over there. But the point being, it's really enjoyable to do that, and especially for the mid and high handicap players. So I think ping is is smart. They've tapped into it. But as Ryan was saying, there's also this weird ebb and flow to chippers. They like they're trendy and then they go away, and then they're trendy and they go away. They they never seem to stick as you know, like hybrids, for example. Hybrids are are here to stay, right? When they first came in, it was kind of like, well, not too sure. Now, you know, there's hybrids up to six, seven irons, et cetera. And tour players are playing with hybrids. And it's just, they're easier to swing, et cetera. But chippers are weird because they they have this run and then they kind of fade away. And then three or four years later, somebody else comes out with one and everybody gets excited again. And it's like they had amnesia, you know, what, what existed previously. Yeah, I, I mean, I touched on the the Ping Chippo, which, John, you mentioned, like, was a club that, I mean, I think up until a couple, probably, I mean, I know they still make a lot of their historic clubs because they cast their own products <laughs> in Phoenix, a lot of stuff in the States. You could still order them. If you, if you had an account, you could order, like, a Chippo from, like, probably a couple of years ago still. And it was a club that probably basically still using the same casting that they had from, you know, 40 years ago at this point. Um, so when you have that available, I mean, you look online, the ping chippo still goes like 150 bucks. You could probably custom order from the ping for the same price. Yeah, I was there was a bunch of listings on eBay. I was really curious because I I come across them once in a while. I I've never seen one in person. Or I yeah, I've never seen one. I've actually never seen one in person, like a chippo. Um, but I just I I know that there's a market out there and they exist, and I've seen like people mess around with them and things like that from different like social media and videos and stuff. But I think again, like this is a club that is going to help a lot of golfers and in general, this is where tangent here, the the whole rules of golf when people talk about bifurcation for the, for amateurs and professionals and like what they want. Like I, and we're playing at the old course this year and and it's, it's, I know it's going to come up because someone's going to shoot a low score. If the, if the wind is down, they've already talked about that. I'm okay with a little bit of bifurcation. If so, if it means making us maybe a smaller driver head or something which less forgiving for the pros, because like let's watch these guys show off their skills. Is it going to change the way Tiger Woods or Will Zalatoris hits a driver? Probably not, or uh, John John Rom. But when they start missing it, right? This is where the most skillful players are going to, I believe, going to showcase just a little bit more because of that ability. But for regular golfers, 99 percent of regular golfers don't even play by the rules of golf, anyways. They might say they do. They might say that they're going to play from the back tees and they're going to do this and they're going to do that. They want the 45 and driver and all this stuff. But in reality, they're dropping golf balls when they hit one out of bounds. They didn't count that one because it was under a tree. They are have an extra club because, you know, they, they're carrying a, a maybe an illegal two-sided chipper. Like this is where the whole like let's let's, you know, the elite amateurs and the professionals, that is obviously a very different game that I don't play. I try and play by those rules as much as I can. But when I play with my friends, we have fun, and that's the whole point. So I think there's there there could be this line that is drawn eventually in the sand. But you know, if you're stoned struggles your short game, we're right back. Try this thing out. <laughs> Please try it out. I think you're gonna have a lot of fun. 
Arby's going to get one. We're going to get his. We're going to get his official take on it. Yeah, you said out. you said you shouldn't use outside of forty yards. You know, the first thing I'm going to do is take a full swing at that thing and find out. How far I was about it goes. to say, yeah, you're you're going to load test it. I already yeah. know this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get into another ping club that recently serviced, I want to let you know that fully equipped is brought to you by our friends at Global Golf, and they're all about you campaign. You've heard us talk about it before. It is a three-pronged approach. The you try, you trade in, and you select programs. The you try lets you try brand new golf clubs in tech for two weeks, where, when, and how you want. Love it? Keep it. If not, just send it back. The you trade in provides the easiest way to help get what's next for less, offering the best value for your gear where you receive a credit towards a new purchase and the you select links you up with PGA professionals who will help you find the best gear for your game with personalized recommendations. If you want to learn more, check it out, globalgolf.com. All right. The other ping club that surfaced last week is one that you can't get at retail just yet, but it's coming. Four years in the making after the I-210 surface, it looks like we have a replacement for the I-210. I saw on the badging, it says I-230. So I, I think we can safely say it is the replacement for I-210. It's already in the bags of several pros. Tyrrell Hatton was the first guy that I saw with these irons in play. He had a full set at the Scottish Open. I was told that Brandon Hagee, one of the longest guys in golf, has the long irons in play. David Lingmurth has a full set. And 2009 Open champion Stuart Sink is using a full set of these I-230s. Now, I did get some intel from recent testing, and the feedback that I'm hearing is that the players who've tested them have really liked the cleaner look in the long irons. The long irons, I loved I loved I-210. And I think a lot of, as you can see, tour pros do as well. Victor Hovland still uses I-210. Uh, Tyrrell Hatton was using I-210. Lee Westwood was an I-210 guy. Um, but they were the long irons were were noticeably longer blade length, and they transitioned down in the mid and the shorts into a much more compact profile. But I'm hearing that it's just a much cleaner look, maybe not as long in the long irons, but still with the same forgiveness that a lot of these guys have come to expect from the I series. And the improvements in the visuals on the clubs are actually helping with set gapping, which I found to be pretty interesting. I want to learn more about that when these come out and we can actually get a proper rundown, but they were, they were saying that it is impacting set gapping due to the better launch conditions. So that's sort of the initial feedback that I'm hearing on I-230, but I did see some up close pictures because I wanted to know it looks you guys can tell me if you think I'm totally off base. It looks a little bit like eye blade in the cavity. It's a very clean look. It, it doesn't look like they're going with the same deep cavity like they had on, on I-210. It looks a little bit more shallow. But one of the things I did notice in some of the photos that I've seen of these irons is I'm seeing maybe a different material in the lower portion of the long irons. So maybe something to help with launch. It look it doesn't look like the the mid and the short. They have a different cavity design. So they're both shallow, but it looks like there's some sort of material that's in the bottom part of the cavity on the long irons. I don't know. 
I, I think, uh, I think there's, there's probably something going on there to help with that launch and spin. Um, it's, we don't want to talk about distance. Everyone, talk, everyone thinks that it's all, it's all about distancing, but to your point exactly is the idea of creating greater consistency, right? Like if you, every, every time we talk to OEMs and, and going back even a couple of years now, no one, every time a new product comes out, no one is necessarily saying we're going to see more distance, more distance, more distance. It's not, that's not the case. The idea is things like, you know, Callaway's used the term like spin robustness, which means you hit it high and low in the face. You, you see similar spin numbers. You're seeing this, this smaller uh, Delta, you're seeing the smaller change, this smaller variance in, in the, the launch and spin windows. And that's where the technology I think is really helping is, is as clubs continue to improve, it's not how good the good shots are. It's how good the bad shots are, the shots that are hit slightly off center. And for the I-230, they were replacing an iron that was like overall loved by, by amateur golfers as well as professionals, which you know, in some cases we see these things where there, there is a bit of a loved on tour, might not be loved on with the general public, loved in the general public, not necessarily loved on tour. And for... For this iron, if it is a multi-piece, well, it, well, it is because of the cavity, but using the heel-toe weights and all these different elements, kind of like they did with the, the G410, like being able to shrink it, but make it more forgiving because of the heel-toe weight and being able to, to carve out mass from the middle of the club head and replace it with the softer polymer so you get this feel and all this extra stuff. I think that's what we're going to see because it's just this, it's always this slow, slow evolution of being able to help the golfer improve. And from the looks perspective, I think they look great. Um, I never had any problem with the ones before, but you know, we, we see these little trend lines change as, as player preferences are always kind of evolving. And that to me is something that's going to be interesting because I'd love to see them from a dress and have them in hand, but you know, we'll get there at some point. You're definitely going to get there very soon. You're going to be back out on the road after, after uh, the open championship, I know in a few weeks. So we'll, we'll be able to see these in person. I, I was a little bit bummed that they decided to wait until the Scottish to release because I would have liked to have seen them in the bags of some of the pros. But, all right. So we have John Deere Classic Winner. RB was actually able to talk to John Deere Classic Winner, JT Poston. But I do want to discuss one quick topic before we get to the interview. And that is Tiger Woods's putter. So... Long story short, every year when Tiger comes over for the Open Championship, he adds lead tape to the putter. And he even admitted so as so much in 2019 when he said, normally when I come over here, virtually almost every single Open I've played in, I would put lead tape on my putter to try and get a little bit heavier and get the ball rolling. So I noticed that as Tiger did in 2019, he's adding lead tape back to the putter in the cavity. Now we've seen him in the past add it to the sole of the putter the last few years or the last few times he's played the open, it's been in the cavity. And I posted this just because everybody likes the gear minutia. And I got a lot of comments from people saying Tiger's logic is flawed. You use heavier weighted heads, i.e. adding more mass like lead tape to the putter head for faster greens and you go with a lighter head weight for slower. And a couple people, I pointed out the quote from Tiger. They still doubled down and like, yeah, but the logic's still flawed. The guy's won three opens, 15-time major winner. Maybe he doesn't know what he's doing. I don't know. What do you guys think? 
Hey, Gene, you want to see this one up? Oh, I, I, you know, one of the things, so back in the day during P Tiger's run, um, I used to test all of his golf balls for Nike pre. And so I, you know, and I, I worked pretty closely with a lot of the developers there. And one of the things that we were always fascinated about in regard to Tiger was, and this wasn't necessarily like a, uh, strokes gain metric, or it wasn't really bandied about as such back then, but, and I don't even know how you would define it quantitatively, but he had the ability to make putts when he needed to under pressure that defied the statistics of putts made. So, and what I mean by that is, and the one that really comes to mind was on 18 at Torrey at the U S open to, to force a tie with Rocco to go to the playoff that putt was like a 15 20 footer over bumpy surfaces it was the end of the day the, the point being the guy was a goat and is the goat in regard to pressure putts made so therefore i'm going to defer to him if he wants to put a clown hat on and putt with it because whatever he does worked and it it made him who he is so yes you can have all the theories in the world but it's really interesting, and I, I've, stipped, I've dipped my big toe into putting analysis, and it is what I've come away with. It doesn't matter what your style is. It doesn't matter what you're putting with. None of it matters except for the fact of what's between your two ears and how you feel and how you deliver the club head. And if you do so consistently, you're going to be a good putter. If you don't do it consistently, you're not going to be a good putter. And then there's obviously green reading. But this guy's a goat. Let him do whatever he wants. And and if it sounds theoretically great, but if not, it works for him. And he is one of the best clutch putters of all time. End of story. No more discussion. Mic drop. Agreed. I mean, I think, you know, from a fitting side of things, when I've worked with players, I've seen it go both ways. So, you know, if someone wants lighter, someone's like heavier, you know, this is a podcast, but behind me, I got a, I got a little wall full of putters there. Some are, you know, $5 bargain bin ones that are, you know, got cleaned up old ping things that weighed less than 300 grams. There's some really, really heavy stuff over there. I don't notice there's a huge, huge difference when I go and play, like, you know, it takes a little bit of adjustment here and there. And there's ones that I like and ones that I don't, but you no, know, every player is going to see a variance in what they prefer. And much to your point, sometimes it's a six inches or eight inches, depending on how big your head is between those ears that uh, makes the biggest difference. And I think for, for Tiger, it's a, it, it's gotta be a feel thing. And uh, you know, yeah, it's a little putter. So be it. I'm not going to argue with the guy. Neither am I. Yeah. Ti Tiger's Tiger's the goat. Nobody should be questioning why he's using a heavier putter. I mean, if he feels like adding more weight gives him, additional rollout on the slower greens. And that's the main reason why Tiger feels that way is the, the greens over during the open championship are a bit more on the shaggier side. So they are a little bit slower and that's why players are, are typically trying to change loft or maybe they go into a different putter, add weight, or, you know, as some people contend, maybe they're going to a lighter putter who knows, but if Tiger wants to do it and he feels like it gives him the best opportunity to hold putts, so be it. All right. With that, I think it's time to get into RB's interview with recent tour winner 
JT Poston. JT talked about his title skier, including the new TSR driver that he added to the bag. A bunch of cool stuff about wedges. It's a great interview. Let's get to it. How good are you, JT? Thanks for your time. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. Um, first, and congratulations on the win. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a fun week, awesome week. Nice to get number two under my belt. Yeah, that's, that's exciting stuff. Um, you know, obviously, like my my main focus is, is equipment, kind of talking gear and covering uh, kind of what's in the bag and, and you know things that with like your clubs and, and kind of going through that process of what's in your bag. Um, your Titleist driver in the bag. How how did how was that process for you, and uh, what do you like about the new one? Uh, yeah, so the process is always pretty. You know, it's as simple and easy as it can get um, out there on the road. And I basically got to the travelers, and um, Jim Curran handed me the new head, and. I popped it on there. Um, I hit some of the old one just to have some numbers to compare and popped the new one on there. And right away, I loved the way it looked. I loved the way it sounded uh, hitting it. And then um, the numbers were awesome. I mean, spin and stuff was basically in the same window. Um, and I had a little bit more ball speed. Um, so picked up a little bit of carry distance, which is always nice. But didn't have to change any settings or anything like that. I'm on, uh, I keep it on the A1 setting, so pretty neutral. and. Um, it was nice. It was a pretty, really easy transition. That's really cool. It's cool. And you, and you came from the the original TSI three, correct? There was no, you kind of stayed within the same model. Correct. Yeah, I was in the TSI three for, uh, for I guess pretty much when they launched that, and um, just jumped right in. I mean, it was like I said, it was an easy transition. I mean, it it looks very, it looked very similar. It wasn't too different of a look or feel or anything like that so that was a bonus because i really liked the tsi and um the fact that it was a little bit faster was an easy easy switch no that's cool uh now a club that you've obviously had in your bag for a while is your uh your ts2 three wood um mm -hmm. is that just because it, it fits a window is it like what is it that you like about that club like all the good things uh about that because i know like that's always the hardest to find for Amateur golfers and pros. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It can, you know, you find one that you like and it's hard to switch. But I hit, you know, I hit the new one, um, the new three wood, and I liked the way it looked. I liked the way it sounded again. And um, honestly, it was, I liked how it was, it was launching a little bit higher. So I feel like the new one had a little bit more stopping power kind of going into the greens on some par fives. But I really just needed to hit it a few more times before putting it in the bag. Um, so I've got it with me at home. Um, I just need to test it a little bit more here at home, I think, before I, um, make the switch. But it's a, it's, I mean, I love it. It's a, it's a great club. Kind of like the driver right away. And I loved how it looked. Um, I think it, you know, it, it didn't look sometimes, uh, in the past I've had issues, you know, with three woods, they look a little shut to me and I feel like I'm going to hook them and, uh, this one did not look like that. So I loved the way it looked right away. I just needed to play with it a little bit more before I put it in play. Right on. Yeah, I know. I, one thing I actually was funny because I was, I was at the Travelers and I think I, I probably saw it on the range and watched a number of players going through the process. The thing I actually didn't realize until after the fact was the, the full face screws on it. 
which uh, I think frames the ball well, speaking to your point of like how it looks, which is uh, pretty cool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's looks, looks are, are one of the more important parts that you don't really think about until you, until you start putting different clubs down. So um, it's, it's, I mean, for me, especially that's, that's what I look for first. Yeah. Um, now the interesting thing of like with your iron set is you have a mixed set, but it's technically in the same model with the, the three iron and then the five through nine. Do you have those, the other ones, do you have the three iron bent a little weak or do you have the five iron bent a little stronger? Or is it just that it fits your gapping the way they're set up? So I, so I actually don't have a, I have a three iron and a hybrid that I kind of switch in and out depending on the course, but I have a four iron in that's the T100S. Um, so it's, it's a it's it's the same look as the T100s um, when you set it down, but it's just a little bit uh, just kind of fits that window a little bit better with my ball flight. And um, I play the Pro V1X, so it's a little bit of a spinnier ball, which I like. And um, you know, having that like that four iron, I was in the T200, but it was I was hitting it. I was having a little trouble with it in the wind because it's higher launch, which is great. But when I got in the wind, I was having some issues. Uh, keeping it down so i made the switch to that t100s and it's been great because i can i can hit it up in the air if i want to and land it soft but it's it's really good in in the wind and uh trying to keep it down yeah that, and that, i mean that that's gonna hopefully play well in the next couple of weeks right yeah exactly i think that's gonna be pretty pretty crucial uh next week so um now, now speaking speaking to that, do you have any plans on on adjusting your wedge setup? I know Aaron's out there. Uh, we've already seen some stuff on Instagram, like going to some players going to like some lower bounce options. Is that something you're you're considering, or are you going to get there and adjust and, and see how it goes? So I don't have much uh, experience playing over there, so I don't really know what to expect just yet. Um, but I know, I mean, talking about bounce, my my sixty degree already has only four degrees of bounce on it. So I doubt I'll need to make any changes there. Uh, the only thing that I might think about would be with the longer wedges. But at the same time, I, I spent some time with AD a couple of years ago. And one of the best advice that he ever gave me was it doesn't make sense to have wedges with all the same bounce because then you're limiting the amount of shots that you can play on different turf, different grass, different lies, stuff like that. So he kind of opened my eyes a little bit about having a, have a 60 degree that didn't have a lot of bounce on it and using that on firmer uh, shots and firmer turf and then having a sand wedge or gap wedge or something that had a little more bounce. So you could use it on um, softer lies or like out of the bunkers. It's a little bit better. So I, honestly, it's, it's, it's working pretty good now. So I, I don't know if I'll make too many changes in that, in that area of the game. That's a, that's a really good point because we you see a lot of, um, even from like a fitting perspective or talking to amateurs is like, do you need high bounce or low bounce? Well, I mean, that's, that's a great piece of advice about you know, making yeah, sure it's like, that you have, yeah. you have variability in your bag. Yeah. My answer is always both. You need both. And then you just need to know which one to use with the right lie. That's uh that's very good advice. Uh, now another one too, another kind of more of a cl classic in your golf bag is, uh, is your Scotty Cameron go low. Mm -hmm. uh, what is it about that putter that just uh, has staying power for you? Other than Man, holding putt. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just, I'm very much a field player all the way across 
the board when it comes to my game and especially my putting. Uh, you can probably see it kind of in how I set up and how I grip the putter and how I stroke it and everything. So um, for me, it's all about having something that I feel confident over and I love the way it looks and I, and I love uh, how it sets up. And so I made the switch to it probably summer of 2019. And I just was having some trouble with my old putter of being consistent inside of 10 feet. And by making that switch, immediately I saw a difference in how I felt over it and how it looked uh, setting down behind the ball. And just felt real comfortable over being able to line it up where I wanted to line it up and um, knock it in the hole from inside of 10 feet. So as soon as you have that confidence inside of 10 feet, it usually translates to making making some longer putts on the 20, 30-footers too because you're not worried about the three-footer coming back. Yeah, and and you're a bit almost a bit of an anomaly in the fact that you've got probably one of the the smaller model putter grips on your putter. Have you tried any of the bigger ones, or have you all just based on being a field player, you really gravitate towards that that smaller one for the feedback it provides? Yeah, I think I, I think I've just always gravitated gravitated towards that smaller one because it's it's such a feel thing, and I just trust my hands so much that. I don't really want to, I don't want to take my hands out of it. I know, uh, I know in my stroke, like my hands are pretty active and probably more active than most guys, but I I feel like I've gotten great hands. So I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, I think that's a strength and not a weakness for me. So I don't want to take them out by going to a, a bigger grip that might be more of a, you know, using your shoulders and, and a longer, slower stroke as opposed to kind of my more handy flower, flowy stroke. Yeah, maybe I need to try that back. I reverse back to the big one, and maybe that's my problem. <laughs> hey, there's I a lot mean, of problems. Got, there's a lot of problems in my putting. <laughs> if you got good hands, use them. Um, I guess last but not least, um, again, like another thing, kind of unrelated to your to your equipment is is you you played well the week before. Obviously, won at the John Deere. Um, what? What is it for you that you feel like clicks in your game when you like heat up, right? Like when you, is there, yeah. is there something about the, your, your ball striking, your short game? Is it a feel that you have? Cause like we've seen in the past where, you know, you'll, you'll go along, you'll, you'll get some weeks and it just, you'll keep up and you heat up for a while. Right. And, and I, I'm always yeah. curious on like, if there's something from your perception you're like, you know, this is going to be a great week. Like, you know, on that that Thursday when you peg it in the in the first round, like you're like, okay, I'm on. I'll just keep pushing it here. Yeah, it's you know, I can't really pinpoint it to one specific thing or one specific thought, but it's always when my ball striking is good or my iron game is really good. Um, again, like my putting has always felt like a strength. Um, regardless of what the stats might say throughout the year, I when I always feel like I'm confident over the putter and I feel like I'm going to make putts and um, the kicker for me is just giving myself enough really good looks and so when I'm hitting the irons really good and get them hitting a lot of shots inside that 15 foot range then that's when it can be pretty deadly and I can go on these runs where I shoot some low scores I get in contention um, and you know the same same thing went for Wyndham you know winning that week for my first win, um, my ball striking and my stroke gained approach was probably the best that it had ever been. And then going back to, you know, travelers 
and John Deere last week, those two weeks in a row, but both weeks, my, my ball striking and my iron play was, was really solid. Is the strokes game something you, you pay attention to week to week, or is it just something you kind of look at after the fact and say, okay, that, that was something that, that really clicked? I think I, your perception I, of it? I think I usually, you know, we've played enough golf, you know, you know, when you hit it well and you know, when you don't, but I do, I do, uh, take a look at the, at the strokes gain from time to time, just to get a gauge of, you know, I feel like I hit it good today, but where do I stand against the rest of the field, um, on specific rounds? And, um, if I feel like I, if I feel like I'm moving in the right direction and, and in that top, you know, 20 or 30, then I'm doing something, doing something right that week or that round. Yeah. No, that's a good insight because I know there's there's a lot more consumer products now for people to actually go through and and look at their strokes gain. I'm a user of one of them, and like it's it's pretty jarring sometimes to see like where you're losing strokes. If say like you know if it's par fours or par threes, if it's approach, it's a short gain, and to be able to apply that to know how that helps. And on your level, I can imagine that it's it's probably pretty helpful just to to see when if you're having a great week or you're you know you're feeling like you need to work on something. It's it it kind of helps you stand out there so that's that's really cool yeah it's Um, immediate feedback so yeah it's i mean you can always say it's hard to argue with numbers but it's also hard to argue with your perception when you're on the course and you just feel like you know where it's going to go i think that's always something that any golfer can relate to when it comes to standing over the ball and and feeling really confident in the shot you're going to hit yeah absolutely so JT, uh, again, I appreciate your time. I know we only have about ten minutes here, so I wanted to, I wanted to get my. <laughs> sorry for the rapid fire, but you're uh, good. I do appreciate you're your time, good. and uh, and uh, uh, again, congratulations and, and good luck next week. Enjoy that. Awesome, thank you. I appreciate that. And thanks again to JT for the time. That'll do it for episode 148 of Fully Equipped. As always, if you want more gear news, check us out on social media. We are at Fully Underscore Equipped on Twitter and at Full Equip Golf on Instagram. Thanks as always for listening. We promise we will let you know if we are not going to be recording in the future. Apologies to those who reached out. Enjoy the open. Get some sleep. Bye.